Hi, I'm Meredith. And I'm Kristen. We'd like to welcome you to the writer's story. And it is October. Um, we had a little bit of cold weather and now we're having some warm weather and so it's just fall. It's fall uh, in it's Virginia. It's so beautiful. I have to say this seems like one of the most beautiful falls in terms of color that I've made. I don't know if it's every every fall is beautiful. I do love fall, but I got to go hiking in the mountains last weekend and it was exquisite. Yeah. I did as well and yeah, the 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 colors were really beautiful. Um I, mean, I, I, just, like I don't know. I think I forget. I feel like I forget every year and then and then like the ginkgos, how bright yellow they oh, are. Yeah. It's just, you know. Yeah some of those red maples mm -hmm. yeah i like to say that we're between the e and the a of peak season <laughs> like right in the sweet spot <laughs> i yeah. felt so lucky we had such a beautiful day for getting out into the mountains yeah and it yeah. was a break time for me betwixt and between um versions of my latest endeavor so i took that day to just step away from the computer step away from the work and soak up the beautiful world nice nice now we were sort of mid conversation let's just like they say right in stories it doesn't hurt to just start right in the middle so in the middle we were talking about work and um meredith you read a story you said at the noir at the bar it's actually Last called month. Noir at the Voir in Noir Richmond the Voir. because it's on the reservoir. Oh, I love that. <laughs> um, and I had been invited several times to do this, and I was actually scheduled to do it in July, and then then um, my husband got COVID, and I thought it would be best to stay away, and then I got COVID, so it really was a good idea that I stayed away. Um, and so then I... Just said, okay, we'll do it the next time. And unfortunately, the the organizer was gone, but his wife stepped in and was the um, substitute MC, and it was really fun. People read uh, mystery short stories, and there were six of us reading, and you had to limit it to eight minutes. And in the past, I've kind of taken a short story and said, oh gosh, right now I have to make this an eight minute reading. Um, but in this case, I kind of had one of those um, experiences, maybe you haven't had one of these experiences, where you wake up and you have an entire short story in your head. That's great. And so I, that happened to me, and then I continued to sort of massage it a bit. Um, but it was a little dark and a little, um, maybe not the correct age group for the room, but... Um, <laughs> How so? Well, it was kind of a 20-something um, um, dating story where um, some women decide to get revenge on a guy that is roofing women. Oh, yeah. So, yeah, yeah. So, it, it, but it was, just, it was an interesting evening and it was, it was good to get out and see writers and hear people read aloud. Um, take a break from larger manuscripts. Um, normally, writing a short story is incredibly painful and long and involved and takes almost as long as writing a novel for me because I put it aside, 
trying to think of like what's the twist and what's the thing and what's and then and then I come back to it and um so every once in a while it's it's good to have a deadline and have something that comes into your mind and that you just write specifically for that and yeah so um how's your writing going well it's going pretty well I am um have been crafting my latest novel idea in the form of a screenplay to satisfy a contest that's whose deadline is the end of next month. And that has been a good fire under my butt, so to speak, to keep me on track working um, toward that deadline. And the exercise has been great for for clarifying elements of the story uh, that I think will benefit the novel form of it. Mm -hmm. So it's been a little bit of a digression. And with all of these, I am plagued with the, with the constant question, is this the thing I should be doing right now? But um, on we go. And I think it's worthy of seeing to the end. And then we'll see where it goes from there. But I, um, yeah, so I'm on track for doing that. While I was hiking, I actually came up with a totally different project that started as a song. And it was generated because I was hiking alone in an area where there are black bears, and it's fairly remote. And they say that when you're in the area of black bears, you I think they're very nearsighted. And so you're supposed to like talk or sing to not surprise them. So I ran through my all the song songs I could think of. And then I thought I would make some up. So I, um, I had a lot of fun doing that. And I think finally, it's kind of like a I'm uh, yeah, it's a fun little I think of it as a children's hiking song, but it could be a little um, picture book kind of thing. And it's, it's a, if I were a black bear, I would not mess with you. If I were a black bear, I'll tell you what I'd do. And then it has a little eco-friendly chorus, which ends with scat. How's that? <laughs> ah, how's that? And then there's the, a red fox and a gray squirrel. Anyway, I made this up because I thought the black bears would be entertained and also not eat me. And I made it down alive with a little ditty. Did you so, record it on your phone? I recorded some of it. Yeah. 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 And I did write some of it down. I, but um, I make a kind of final version of it. I sure. had some idea. Well, you know, when you're right, when you're revising and you're trying to think of new, th you know, things to connect or how to satisfy something, and I woke up with some ideas and discovered that dictating into your notes app on the iPhone is is very good. It's better than wow. a lot of dictation software that I've tried. <laughs> <laughs> Yours is better than mine. My notes are hardly, they don't, it doesn't translate very well. It doesn't, it doesn't translate? Huh. It comes, it, anyway, but yes, having, so what I'll do is do a voice memo, but then I have to re-listen to it, which is, there's a greater hurdle to doing that than re-reading something. Oh, a voice memo. Yeah, and I've done voice memos too. Um, 
usually when I'm walking and I have some idea, I would do yeah. a voice memo and then sort of at least, and I, there's almost, um, actually, uh, I don't always have to listen to it again because it's kind of like telling someone, remind me to do such and such. The act of telling someone to remind you is the reminder that you need. Yes. Yeah. So telling it to a voice memo is sometimes enough to sort of cement it in in your brain rather than just have it be a fleeting thought. Yeah. And then yeah. I can go back and write it down and I'll remember. So Yeah. Yeah. But um I tried I tried recently a rocket book. And it's one of those um, reusable notebooks that you can erase. Um, and you can scan the pages into the app and it um, transcribes them, turns them really? into text. But I have to say that transcription thing is terrible. It puts it sort of into poetry form. So it's like a word on a line. Like it's, it doesn't make any sense. And so you have to put everything back in. But it it's kind of, I, I get the idea that it might be great for people who write longhand or like to write longhand. Okay. Instead of typing. Hmm. I hope that they fix some of that. It also yeah, takes so pictures. Also, so if yeah. you if you do write you no know, you want to write music or something like that, you could take an image of it and then you can erase it. Yeah. Yeah, there are some wonderful tools for keeping us creating when away from the computer. Yeah. Um, I still gotta say I'm a fan of the old hard copy notebook thing. Too, <laughs> I did. I did have one tucked in my pack, which was nice. Um, but like you said, you could have thrown out of the bear if you ran into one. Yes, exactly. <laughs> but there was a point on the second stretch, if you will, of this hike, when I realized that I really needed to keep moving. I couldn't keep stopping. I'd stopped a bit, enjoying the views and having my peanuts and raisins and having some water. And then I realized that the day was getting on and the sun was getting lower and and I did get lost. So oh. that was thrilling. And it ended up being a good 10 miles probably. Oh, and wow. Well, I, I, yeah, I went on a hike. Peter and I went on a hike um, in the Goshen Pass and it followed some of the hike we did together. But then it, we went up to viewing rock, and Peter had said, oh, we'll do a four-mile hike. Well, it turned out it was six miles, uh-huh. and we climbed about 1,400 feet. Yeah. So. Yeah, it's not the same. It was not what I signed up for. <laughs> yeah, exactly. Uh, yeah, we were not that far from one another. And I did at one point say, can this be viewing rock? <laughs> I see a view. <laughs> oh, this <is> viewing rock. <laughs> <laughs> there is a view here. But, yeah, it was very nice. It was very nice once we were up, and then yes, mostly down <laughs> afterwards. <laughs> well, I'm excited. We have a guest today, um, Fran Hawthorne, um, at, who I met because I was connected with her for an event with her first novel. 
um, at New Dominion. We did an event together, and I um, I got to know her there. Um, Fran Hawthorne spent 30 years writing award-winning nonfiction, um, including eight books mainly about consumer activism, the financial industry, and big pharma. Her book, Ethical Chic, The Inside Story of the Companies We Think We Love, was named one of the best books of 2012 by Library Journal. Uh, but she finally achieved her lifelong dream of writing and publishing a novel in 2018 with The Heirs. And um, the book she has right now is her second novel, I Meant to Tell You. And so I'm super excited, excited to talk with her. Yes. Let's go call her up. Hi, Fran. How are you? Hi, Meredith, Kristen. It is really nice to see you again, Meredith, and to meet you, Kristen. Oh, it's great to see you, Fran. We're happy that you're here. Yeah, we're do we do this on Zoom so that we can yeah. see your face when we talk to you. Unfortunately, our audience can't see us, but maybe that's for the better because sometimes I, I realize that I've, you know, changed into my pajamas or something. <laughs> I, honestly, I just thought it was a really nice sweater. So, you know, oh, thank I'm you. the last one to make fashion judgments, really. Um, well, your secrets stay with us, except now it's it's immortalized. On the <laughs> yeah. I'm yeah. just going to go off on a tangent. Um, oh, gosh, I don't know, 10 years ago, whatever. I was interviewing Amy Dominey, who's kind of one of the pioneers in socially responsible investing and so you know she's doing you know in, i mean environmental and you know recycling and all this good stuff and i told her that the skirt i was wearing i thought i had bought maybe 15 years ago and, and that's astounded her this pioneer and you got you want to know something else yeah wear that skirt yeah. you still wear it <laughs> So. Here's to the skirt. Well, Fran, I told I told myself I have broken this now, but that I at my age I no longer need to buy new clothes. I there are enough good clothes, and in the area where we live, there are enough clothes oh. circulating through consignment stores that I can finish the rest of my life buying out of consignment stores. Now I have, like I said, I, I have broken that. I have bought a couple of new items. But for the most part, yep. consignment, man, consignment. I love consignment. I grew up with, um, I basically call, I, I don't know if I've ever called them to you, Kristen, but I basically grew up with trash pickers, um, AKA hippie parents. And so it was like, <laughs> I, it was like, it was not even, my parents split up when I was two, but I would be with my dad and he'd be like, well, this is a perfectly good chair. Why is someone throwing it away? And then we would yes, have to carry yes. this chair back home. And my mother's the same way. And, and it was like, she was like, do you like this? Three dollars at Goodwill. Like that was a <laughs> so anyway. But I actually did buy this sweater new. I was supposed to be Christmas shopping, and it's incredibly soft. And I lost it last week, and then I found it again. Someone picked it up at an event, and then emailed my office and said that they had it. And I was so excited. So now I'm wearing it, even though it is not quite sweater weather. I was just very excited to be reunited with my sweater, <laughs> which I will hopefully have in 15 years. Although it is cream colored. And the chances are low. Mm. <laughs> yeah, well, we we'll see. We we'll will back see. In 15 years. But oh, Fran, yeah. we did an event so long ago, but yeah. I just wanted to have you talk a little bit. I think you have such an interesting writing journey. So 
tell me about, you know, you said you wrote your first book when you were four or something. You were a child prodigy. and <laughs> wait, wait, wait. We didn't say it was published. Um, <laughs> no, no. But you won a big award when you were eight. That's Jeff right. Jill, right? <laughs> you know, honestly, what I say is I think a lot of people, not just writers, sort of started, quote, you know, writing when they were little kids. I mean, you know, if we're lucky. We had books around the house. Our parents read to us. Our pa- we told stories. We played with dolls or whatever, you know. So we took pieces of paper and we folded them over to look like a book and we scribbled, right? I'm hardly original in that. The difference is I was dead serious. Um, <laughs> I started trying to publish books in middle school. Wow. I'm, I'm serious. I sent one off to a publisher who wrote back saying, you know, contact us again when you're old enough to sign a contract. <laughs> I mean, um, I could tell you many, many, I mean, I was carefully printing them, you know, and that lined paper that you have when you're oh, an elementary Oh, wow. I, and some of these, I look back, they were pretty sophisticated. I had this one in elementary school about a family that was torn apart in the American Revolution. Oh, you know, wow. we always read about families torn apart in the Civil War. This, I was... A, not going to go with the cliche of the Civil War. <laughs> and there were families, indeed, in the colonies who were torn apart between loyalists and, and rebels. But, you know, this is uh, not something you typically learned in elementary school. Anyway, so I was, that that's what I think distinguishes me. Um, I mean, other things do, like my hair. But anyway, um, so, uh, so that's, I, I don't know why I started. Because I've been writing longer than I have memories, basically. Um, I just knew that that was what I was going to do. I was going to write novels. And somehow I knew that you can't earn a living writing novels, probably because I didn't know anybody who wrote anything for a living. You know, if that was the kind of careers that people had, our friends' parents, or at least for most of us, our friends' parents weren't writers, you know. And you with the hippie parents of Meredith, maybe you had interesting, more interesting um, community. So I just knew, and I figured I would be an English teacher like my mom. That's what girls do. Um, I didn't want to be an English teacher, and I would have been a terrible teacher. <laughs> Teachers are saints. I I just so much admire them, and I would not have had the patience to stand in front of a room of kids all, go all day long without swearing. No, no. <laughs> um, so anyway, it's a good thing I didn't. Uh, so in college, in my um, sophomore year, a roommate said to me, Gee, if you like writing so much, why don't you try out for the school newspaper? And I wrote, newspapers, hack writing. I will never do that. I also did not read newspapers. So um, nevertheless, all right, I went to the school paper. This was the University of California at Berkeley. And I really have to do a shout out to the newspaper, the Daily California, because it changed my life. I walked in. They gave me an assignment. I kind of enjoyed it. I did apparently a great job. They hired me on the staff immediately. And that was it, you know, for the next like, 20 years. I was a journalist. I loved it. You know, I became a managing editor at the news, school newspaper. I was a, what's called a stringer, which is a sort of a, a regular freelancer for the, the big San Francisco newspaper, The Examiner. And just, you know, right out of college, I got a job with a, in Silicon Valley with a chain of weeklies. And, and so, you know, oh, yeah, novels, fiction. I, you know, and I... When you get your first job, if you know you guys ever had nine to five jobs, you know what right? you work your butt off, you work day, you work night. I was tired. 
And all day long I was writing. And I came up with the excuses. I'm tired. I get home at night. I've been writing all day. Tomorrow I'll work on a short story. Tomorrow I'll work on a novel. And honestly, this went on for years. I, I did. I did indeed start um, some novels. I actually finished one and got an agent in my early 20s, but she didn't sell it. You know, did some short stories, you know, put half finished novels aside. And, um, you know, and then, and then my journalism career, you see, was just so much fun. I keep getting new and better jobs. I came back, I came to New York. It's not back because I had never lived in New York, but I came to New York, you know, got better and better jobs. And just when I was getting kind of bored with, well, it's September, it's the real estate section again, I got offered my first nonfiction book deal so that I was writing nonfiction. And I had books now, I had my name on books. This is very exciting. And I was, I was, I was, I met President Clinton at the White House. I went to San Francisco, uh, Switzerland. I went to Puerto Rico. I was having just a blast. You know, won some awards. And, and then I'd start and stop novels. So, I mean, I feel kind of guilty saying this because it's, it's like, I thought I was a novelist in the blood. What happened, right? I was a writer in the blood. Yes. And, but I was very nagged, innerly nagged. You know, nobody outside was nagging me about knowing that this wasn't really what I'd want to do all my life. I wanted to write fiction. And yet it was kind of an addiction. I was having fun writing nonfiction. I was earning a living. That's also important. And... I honestly don't know what would have happened except um, for uh, an impetus that I really don't recommend. Um, it's uh, my parents died within seven months of each other. Mm -hmm. And, uh, you know, my, my father was ill and then my mother basically, you know, kind of died of heartbreak in a way. I mean, you know, she wasn't the strongest, healthy health either but um you know and that kind of i mean i hope you have not had that happen in your lives yet but you know having someone close to you die really really gets you to thinking mm -hmm. you know yeah i'm gonna die what do i want to accomplish in my life what do i want in my tombstone and i sure didn't want she never got around to writing a novel you know as as my obituary so i just kind of you know did it cut the nonfiction cord? Um, had had picked up one of the ideas I'd started, uh, which is of course the one that I ended up doing the book talk with Meredith, the heirs, uh, which is kind of takeoff point was my dad's family history, but it is not at all a memoir or, or half autobiographical or nothing like that. I mean, the fact is that um, it's a post Holocaust novel. And in real life, my dad and his parents and sisters got out of Poland in time, and the rest of the family didn't. Mm -hmm. uh, in the book, some of the family is killed, and some of the family survives in Poland, and it goes on from there. So it's not, I'm just saying that's what I'm saying it was the inspiration, but the story in the book is totally, totally different But my real life. Anyway, so I picked that one up and wrote it, and started the slog of getting it published. And uh, one of those miracles in life, this 
University Press in Texas liked it. And I, you know, kind of, I, I really literally, I, I ran back and forth in the hall of my house screaming when I got uh, there. I just absolutely I couldn't. I mean, my lifetime goal, right? This, yeah. actually, this is like a novel, right? My lifetime goal I achieved. Um, <laughs> so that was kind of the journey to getting my first novel published. And now my second novel is being published. And that's kind of like, um, you know, it's not icing on the cake what it is. Now I'm addicted to yeah. getting fiction published. <laughs> oh dear. <laughs> well, it's great. I mean, you are well on your way. Oh. And this latest one I meant to tell you sounds so intriguing. Will you tell us a, a little, so the title um, suggests some of what readers might find within. Can you tell us just a little bit about that one? Oh, thank you for your uh, nice words. I hope it proves to be as intriguing. Um, I'm so terrible at this kind of summary. Uh, so it begins, I'll have to use more than one sentence. Okay. If you want one, do you want one sentence or do you want more than one sentence? You can have more than one. Okay. <laughs> at the elevator pitch. Okay. Um, it begins when these two friends, Miranda and Ronit, drive into the airport. Miranda is helping Ronit um, kidnap her own daughter. Mm. And, yeah. uh, and I mean, this is all the prologue, so I'm not giving away much. Um, and they are caught at the airport. So then the story picks up seven years later, and st I'm still only now in chapter one. I'm still not giving away too much. Um, Miranda is, you know, very happily engaged to Ross. Uh, Miranda works in healthcare research. This is now 2003. And her parents had been activists in the 60s. I was thinking of that, Meredith, when you talked about your hippie parents, although hippies and anti-Vietnam War protesters are not the same thing, but it Kind of remind me of that. So Miranda's parents were anti-war activists. Her grandfather was a union organizer. She feels that, oh, she has to do her part to save the world somehow. And she's feeling a little frustrated that she's researching healthcare. Actually, um, I'll have to get back to that in a minute. Russ, her fiance, shares her idealism and he is a prosecutor with the U.S. Attorney's Office. And Miranda has never told him that she was arrested for felony kidnapping. So as the book progresses, many secrets will be unraveled by this one secret uh, and, and um, uh, affecting many, many relationships. So that's my long lead in. It sounds great. Yeah, it does sound really. And I'm you know, and and reading some of it, it it it, I got the feeling it was a lot about um, friendship. Yes, and what we do for what we do for our friends, um, and how some friends stay in our lives forever, and others drift apart. And there's still like a wound with that. You know, she really misses her friend. You know, that she would do anything for she did something huge for and um that's a longing i think it i think it will really speak to a lot of readers a lot of people have people in their lives that you know when they've drifted apart and they always think you know oh and i guess facebook has kind of solved some of that for people like whatever happened to so-and-so because <laughs> you can always go look them up that is but it's not the same thing and it might also just bring up all the feelings of why did this person stop 
you know, calling or, you know, that sort of thing. Yeah, that's a good point. Facebook may help you learn the facts, but it can make it worse if you then reach out mm -hmm. and the person blocks you or just refuses to answer, mm -hmm. you know, um, although it does solve your, satisfied some of your curiosity. Yeah, that is, but thank you for bringing that up. That is one of the important themes of the book is what, if anything, are the limits of friendship? How far will you go for a friend? Mm. I mean, another theme is the issue of the outsider and immigration. Ronit is an Israeli Jewish woman who has come to America to study and meets American man who's not Jewish and they get married. And um, the, the differences in their background increasingly cause strains in their marriage, which again, this is sort of implied in the prologue, so I'm not giving away too much. But that's just another relationship theme mm -hmm. that's in the book. Um, there's themes of family. Like I told you, Miranda's feeling this sort of heritage that she needs to live up to. Um, there are other family complications. Uh, you know, so yeah, it's about a lot of different kinds of relationships and, and the, the different kinds of pressures that can be on friendships and on families. Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. Did you have any kind of um, experience in your life that inspired this one or was it just with the airs that you used a, a person I have, I'm not I asking never... if you had been arrested for felony kidnapping although <laughs> I, I, I could I, I could be I, so uh... <laughs> I have never tried to kidnap anyone and successfully without being arrested <laughs> um, yeah so so what you're saying is you have never successfully kidnapped anyone. I just want to be clear. Nor unsuccessfully. She, she, she didn't confess to an attempt okay, yeah. or anything. I can, I can say that quite absolutely clearly. <laughs> Thank you for, for clarifying that. <laughs> now, Fran, you're a runner, right? Yes. So you run as running it relates to your writing or running feeds your writing? Oh, um, a little bit yeah. about that. Yeah. Um, I mean, it is interesting. I guess we all, and you guys must have your ways, first of all, of unwinding, you know, your times and you just are letting your mind free when you are not actually sitting and focusing. I think we all need that. You probably have forms of exercise. And so running is my salvation. You know, if I'm having, if I'm tossing and turning, having a horrible night, depressed, whatever, I get up and it just, it absolutely changes my mood. And as well, I just start thinking. It's like some people get their brilliant ideas in the shower. All these inconvenient places where you can't write ideas down. I mean, I do, I just take my phone and record my brilliant thoughts while I run. <laughs> oh, but I come, you know, when I start out and say, I'm going to use this run to plot out my novel. Hmm, nah, doesn't work. You start and your mind wanders. And if you're lucky, you see something interesting. <laughs> I like to run, I live in New York and I love to run along the East River, you know, when the weather's good. Uh, I have I have four winter routes and four summer routes, <laughs> which are about an average of eight miles a day. It's amazing. So, <laughs> yeah, I love it. So anyway, it's my salvation. But, um, so, but what does happen is I'm thinking about what I need to do today or and anyway, I'll come up with ideas whether it's uh, ways to fix the book or whether it's um, publicity ideas for the whatever. Uh, I will usually come up with a few ideas while I run. And then I'll also come up with 
you know, shopping list ideas or other oh, things. Yeah. And sometimes. That's interesting that they pop into your things. head. I feel like I have to prime the pump a little bit. Oh, yeah. So how do you do that? Well, no, I mean, so I'm, I, um, I do a lot of different things. I don't run right now, but I, I'm a swimmer and I swim probably three days a week and then do other things on the other days. But, um, while I'm swimming, I'll have to say, what about this problem with the book? You know, I have to sort of pause it as a question because I just don't start thinking about the book unless I sort of, oh. yeah. I And I kind of trained myself to do that a little bit. Someone once said that they what they did was um, they would write down a question that they had about their plot and they would put it under their pillow. And then oh. they would say, in the morning, I will have an answer to this question. <laughs> you know, I don't know. I don't know if it's ever worked for me, but I think that that's 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 the kind of priming the pump that I'm talking about. That sort of just say like, this is the problem that I'm having. So let me start nibbling at this and trying to unravel it a little bit. I mean, sometimes I do that, and I start, and like I said, my mind just doesn't stick with it because I'm seeing. Oh, I love watching the tugboats on the river, or whatever. You know, I'm seeing things in, uh, and then I do. One thing, um, so this book is largely set in Washington, D.C. and, and the surrounding areas. Um, not quite your part of Virginia. No, it's more Northern Virginia, closer to um, D.C. I've lived right there, here. too. Yeah. I've but lived anyway, in D.C. Um, and in Northern Virginia. <laughs> but I mean, you're Charlottesville, right? Yeah. Yeah. yeah, yeah, but my father lived in Reston. Oh, okay. And then I lived so in DuPont Circle for th oh. three years. I went to American University for grad school. Oh. Okay, there you go. Yeah, they go to they went to Georgetown, my protagonist. But anyway, um, so so I deliberately went to Washington and deliberately chose running routes that my characters take because Russ and Miranda are runners. But not only that, running routes that would help me explore the city. I mean, here's where my journalism training is a curse or a blessing. I cannot I cannot get the details wrong. Um so if they're gonna run along the mall. I'm going to run along the mall, and to my unhappy surprise, I found that that sort of gravel path is very hard to run on, actually. Oh. <laughs> you know, and um, if they're going to run across, or they're going to actually, they walk across Arlington Bridge, so I ran across it, and then I came back to walk more slowly and take more detailed notes, you know, so, you know, whatever else you might criticize the book for, I'm going to have the facts right. Mm -hmm. well, I like that because it makes me much more comfortable in setting the scene. I know what it looks like and smells like and feels like if you know, that's appropriate. And I and I can describe it. And, um, you know, so I, at least I have my, my base established. Yeah. Oh, I hate reading a book. Um, not, I mean, I lived in New York for uh, about a decade and there are books that you'll read that are set in New York because people love to set books in New York and you realize they've never really been in the city, you know, that they're just, they're sort of making things up or it doesn't feel realistic at all, you know, it's sort of interesting. That's so disappointing. I mean, I'm, I, I, part of my book is set in New York back in the sixties though, you know, um, so I did, I, I did also, I mean, walk, the streets of the neighborhood I describe, and I went to Columbia University and walked around because part of it is said in the, during the student takeover at Columbia. Um, 
And those kinds, I mean, Columbia, I doubt has physically changed much. Here's going to come somebody along who's going to tell me how it changed, but I can't go back to the 60s. Yeah. That's one thing I cannot do in my fact checking. I cannot physically go back. So I do the best I can. Here, here's one for you. There's a scene in Ellis Island. So I went to Ellis Island. Luckily, I live in New York. It's easy for me to do. And I'm taking detailed notes. I'm not looking at my family's, you know, um, immigration records. I already did that years ago. I'm taking detailed notes on the chandeliers, on the walls. <laughs> and the only person probably in history who has gone to Ellis Island to research, you know, the benches and floors and walls. <laughs> That's funny. Yeah, I went to Ellis Island and, um, and it was so moving. And I remember I came back and I called my mother and I said, who came through Ellis Island? And she oh. said, nobody. Yeah. Oh. Um, my father is an immigrant, but he flew into Chicago in the 1950s from England. And my mother's family got here really in the 1600s, 17, wow. Yeah. So been You're here like a very... Mayflower descendant. No, just been didn't here forever. I mean, they were, um, uh, my mother's family first arrived in um, Salem, Massachusetts. Wow. The Edsons. So, yeah. So I, it's just it's 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 so interesting because it was a very small window, and and a lot of actually immigrants came up through New Orleans and stuff, and to a certain yeah certain exactly. time. I mean, yeah, my dad came, of course, too late for Ellis Island. Mm -hmm. Um, but I did find um the records of his grandfather who came earlier. It's another story. Um, and and my mother's um, parents, you know, coming in. Oh wow! Yeah, so that is cool. But Salem, were your ancestors witches <laughs> or judges of witches or? Accusers? I don't know. I haven't <laughs> gone back. I haven't gone back to figure that out. But judging by their names, though, it was like Ezekiel and stuff like that. I was thinking they might be doing the burning rather than the getting burned. I could be. You know, I just tell you, I one of my hobbies <laughs> is I'm a sort of a tour guide at a history museum here, the New York Historical Society. And right now we have an exhibit on uh, the Salem witch trials. Wow. So I've been doing some research and I can assure you that they were all intermingled. Like, you know, one oh, day you'd be accusing someone of being a witch and the next day you were being accused. So Okay. Well, okay. if you find any Edsons, let me know. How do you spell that? E-D-S-O-N. It's like okay. Edison, but without an I. <laughs> but my mother says, apparently, because there is, everyone should have a, cousin that loves genealogical research mm, yes. and, and um my mother actually i think she was on the um she's a historian and she was on the you know consultant on some documentary and she got contacted by the edson family oh. and um there's a whole thing and there's the whole and they're basically everyone in the united states is descended from these three brothers who went to salem massachusetts wow yeah so. Well, I was fascinated with the Salem witch trial and the whole witch culture of the time. Back so, in the day. do you come down on the on the side that they were eating, you know, bread? That <laughs> um, most experts now crazy. actually say no. That probably wasn't the cause. The the mold on the rye flour. Yeah, yeah, yeah. Um, uh, yeah that it, it would have been a, a convenient explanation, but there are too many symptoms that the mold doesn't cause. You know. So now we're back to the mystery. Maybe they were bewitched. <laughs> I mean, you know, you just look at certain groups today in America and you can sort of see that sort of 
you know, hysteria or some kind of frenzy hits lots of, you know, hits these people and you sort of have outsiders are like, what on earth? And this group is sort of, you know, so yeah. <laughs> and that, that was my only explanation. I mean, I wish it were just mold on their, in their flower yeah. and then we can remove that and then we'd go back to normal. Yes. Yeah. I wish yeah. that was as easy as that, but, um, you know, it's been so nice having you today and we, and your book is coming out very soon. We're chatting yeah, with you. 15th. Um, November 15th. Um, yeah. And, oh gosh. So yeah, it's called, I meant to tell you and right. It has, I get some important themes about social activism and, you know, what, what our responsibility is, if any, to help the world and about right secrets and, Mm-hmm. friendships and um and problems of immigrants and a kidnapping yeah yeah just a kidnapping <laughs> thrown in a lot of bases yeah, yeah it sounds really great and and it sounds like i mean we didn't talk about the social activism and oh. um some of those elements as well which which are informed i imagine by some of your writing in the world of nonfiction. and um, exactly in fact, i promise to get back to the healthcare issue. And so thank you for reminding me. So this time place, the, the current time of the book is 2003, winter of 2003. And Miranda is working on a project that I actually wrote a lot about for in, in particularly one of my books inside the FDA, one of my nonfiction books. And that is the effort to um, have some government regulation of the price of prescription drugs because there was absolutely no regulation, um, not in Medicare, not in anything. And people were going to Canada, chartering buses to go to Canada to where the drugs were, exactly drugs were much, much cheaper. And I wrote, wrote about this. And guess what? This past summer, Congress finally passed uh, a law, the Inflation Reduction Act, that among other things, lets Medicare negotiate and, and set the prices of drugs. So what it, it took what almost twenty years, you know, right? And I believe me when I made this Miranda's project in writing the book, uh, I did it for a lot of reasons. It was happening at that time. I knew a lot about it. Uh, I mean, I'm quoting verbatim some of the people I interviewed, just changing their names, you know. So it's absolutely you know, fact based. But I had no idea that it would be so timely that it would be <laughs> happening now. Uh, that's amazing. Yeah, so that's kind of a fun. Uh, coincidence uh, and, and the good news being that in fact congress finally did yeah. act wow yeah. wow yeah i was gonna say some of these things take a long time but i'm sure you know you can't say that your work wasn't influential in the end and i think you know sometimes you have to play the long game with it yeah but, um, i mean but... i don't know my book was influential but but um but then miranda says she keeps saying oh compared to what my parents and my grandfather did this is so trivial and her mother says, no, it's not trivial. This is people's life and death. Yeah. So it's just kind of interesting. Um, there are many different ways to mm-hmm. try to get out there and make the world a better place. Awesome. And some, ways, some of the causes some other people might want to do, I might think make the world a worse place. So we have that issue too. Yeah, yeah. Well, I hope your launch is, is just terrific. And um, we're just so happy to celebrate your second book with you and 
your yes. further launch of your career as a novelist, your 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 lifelong goal. <laughs> oh, thank you so much for having me. Um, it's thank been you so much fun talking with you. And, and I hope we can talk about your books. But good luck to you and your writing. And I hope you come to Charlottesville again. Love to. Yeah, and we'd love to see you. So let us know. And okay. We'll talk to you soon. Thank, thank you, Fran. Thanks. Well, it was really fun to hear Fran's story and hear about her next her next book. I can't yeah, believe, yeah. I can't believe and, it was 2018 that I did an event with her. <laughs> <laughs> yeah, that's terrific. And all those years of working as a journalist, and I think, and how much she wanted to write fiction. But I, you know, every time I meet these journalists who who develop stories, novels, um, pieces of fiction. I think all that work they did as journalists definitely set them well on the road for creating compelling story. And it was interesting to hear her talk about her her, her need to get every detail right. Yes, I think. Yeah. Yeah, I, at a certain point you realize you just have to let it go, but yeah. Yeah, I can totally. And it was so funny to hear that, you know, we were talking earlier about recording our thoughts yes. <laughs> out in the wild. And here she was talking about, you know, running and then getting ideas. And what do you do when you have ideas while you're running? <laughs> yeah, but she, wow, I'm impressed that she carries a phone while she runs. It's been so long since I ran, I, as you know, like I've... to walk. But to carry a phone. I used that's... to, well, I do ha still have a, a carrying thing on, you know, my arm, an armband. Oh, like a little, oh, okay. I like Let to take photos and stuff when I'm out. Yeah, so... but running, I think of running as just like, anyway, harder to carry. Yeah, it's a hand. I put it in an in a armband. Maybe so. Well, she is certainly um, so much fun to talk to. And uh, yeah, I would do well with this book. Yeah, I meant to tell you. Yeah, it's a it's a great title for what it sounds like the book is about. So you've read some of the book. Yes, yes, I did have a chance to read some of the book. Um, nice. I wish I'd had a chance to read more of it, but October has been a whirlwind, and it's um, here we are, almost at November, and crazy. Yeah, Crazy. so we might be um, inspired by all the talk of the Salem witch trials to dress up for Halloween. <laughs> <laughs> I, love, I love Halloween. Halloween is a big deal in Richmond where, you know, I lived for so long. And um, out here, we just don't get any trick-or-treaters, of course. So yeah, it's a different experience. But yeah. I do love that. I kind of love the spirit of Halloween. Yeah. A little bit spooky, a little bit fun. Yeah, it's inspiring. On the edge. Yes, yeah. exactly. Fantasy, exactly. horror. Yeah. Well, good luck to you with all your writing this month. And I we will see you next month um, where we have um, a memoir writer. Yes. And that will be lots and lots of fun. So... See you next time. Till then. Bye. Bye.